Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Lord's help, I want to share with you a message simply entitled, And Now. Everybody say, And Now. And Now. And Now. Acts 27, verse number 9. What has happened up to just before this is that in Acts 26, Paul has been accused by the Jews and he has been brought before King Agrippa and the governor Festus and they've asked him to answer for himself of the charges that are laid before him and so he he stands to his feet and like an order he begins to speak and it was one of the most moving moving defenses if you will and when he's done, both King Agrippa and Festus agree that the charges against Paul are false. And that if it was in their hands to release him, they would have released him. But Paul had declared that he was a Roman and, and that he had the right to plead his cause before Caesar. And so they have assigned Paul, who is now a prisoner, along with some other prisoners, to a centurion by the name of Julius. And this guy is now tasked for getting him to Rome to stand before Caesar. And they have started on the journey to Rome via ship. And we pick up the story... They're partway there in verse number 9. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage not only of the lading, the cargo, and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part, or more people, advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenix and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind, called your that name. Okay, I'll go with that, what John said. And when the ship was caught 
and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps and undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. In other words, they threw stuff over. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now, I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any, any man's life among you, but of the ship. And now, would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me? Father, I've come to the place where I, I endeavor to do one thing, and that is to unburden my heart with what you burdened it with. So, Father, I ask you to just help me to have clarity of thought and liberty of spirit to do that. I stand on this, God, that the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher or preacher there ever was. And so I loose him to do what he does so well. And I thank you, God, that your word will never return void. It will always accomplish that which you sent it to do. Amen. After years of pastoring, I have observed that a lot of people struggle with two things. Two things that they really allow to vex them. And those two things are, the first is the past. They, anybody here ever made a mistake? Because if, if it was nobody, we'll just skip over that part. Okay. Anybody ever, you, there's something you wish you hadn't done, you're embarrassed? You, okay. I, I want to make sure. I want, I want you to know that I've traveled that journey. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I'm not one of those people that, you know, I got experience back there. And... And they, they, they allow themselves to be vexed over things in the past. And the frustrating part is that, that we're confined to ever go back. Seconds after you say it, you want to bring it back in, but it's too late, it's out there. Days after you did it, you wish you could undo it. 
How many times have you said, oh, I didn't mean to say that, but it's too late. You can tell by the look on their face the damage is done. When in the haste in a moment you did something and now the, the result is there and, and it's, it's, it's like something that you've dropped off a boat and, and now it's just floating away from you and you will never catch it. How many know what I'm talking about? You will never, ever retrieve that. It's in the water, it's heading away from you, and it's irretrievable. And I'm convinced the enemy likes to keep us focused on that. That, that thing that we did, that thing that we said, or, or that thing that happened to us. There are a lot of people that are stuck there. They're, they, they think they're stuck there. The enemy has convinced them that that, 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 that violence on their personhood was so egregious, they will never get past it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That, 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 that doubt now defines them. That, that is going to be the, what they see in the mirror every morning. is not who they are right now, but that person. And, and in reality, we, we will never be able to go back. I, there's some some psychiatry and psychology out there that, that wants to take people back in time, I think you need to be careful with that junk. I think you have to be careful with that because the reality is you and I are stuck in right now. And we will always be in right now. And, and we cannot go back there. But I think it's even bigger and deeper than that because there is one who can go back. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and that verse means more than just that, that the Jesus of 2,000 years ago is, is just like the Jesus of today. It, it means that, but it means more than that. It, it means that he's not confined to time. Now, I don't want to go down this trail because it's going to sound too Star Trek-y, but, but a number of years ago, God kind of downloaded this into my mind. And it, it, pertaining that verse that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is that for him, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. He's trying to tell you he doesn't have a watch. He's not confined to time. That, that Here's my understanding, and I'll move on, is that for him, time is a geographical location. He, he can walk back. And, and you and I are stuck there. How many know what I'm talking about? We're, we're stuck in the right now. He's not stuck in the right now. He is the eternal I am. He doesn't go back into the I was. He is right now. And he, he can go back. And I think that some of this psychiatry that tries to get people to go back to something is actually a play of the devil to get us to play a role that God himself retains for himself and to get you to place hope in something that really offers no hope I want to tell you there is hope about your past and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ and he's able to not change the historical reality of what happened but he can change the impact it has on your life Make sure to give me the one without lipstick on it. Thank you. She does that to me just to laugh at me. 
She'll bring me a cup of coffee and there's lipstick all over it. I'm teasing. True story. I was sitting in Bob Evans a couple of years ago. And some lady asked for a refill on her coffee. And so the, the waitress took the coffee cup and came back a few minutes later and put the coffee cup down. And the lady added her cream and sugar, and she picked up her coffee cup. She goes, oh, this isn't my cup. That's not my lipstick. And she turned it and drank out of the other side of it. Not me. <laughs> nah, not me. What's that had to do with my message? Nothing. But if I didn't get it out, it was going to bounce around and distract me like a fly. Okay? Just keeping it real. I swatted the fly. It's not that complicated, folks. And, 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 and we're, we're confined to here. But, but God is able to fix that. What, what, what you did and what happened to you, I want to tell you, God's able to fix that. If you trust him with it. If you take it to him and leave it there, as the old song used to say. If you just give it to him. If you trust him to say, I'm stuck in the right now, but you're not. Because I want to tell you something. He knows what you did. And he knows what they did. He knows you were lied about. He knows you were abused. He knows you were touched. He, he knows that you were lied to. He knows, he knows, he knows who did it and what they did. But you and I need to give him our past. To stand on the shore of today and to look back into yesterday is a display of the lack of trust in God. We can give it to him. We can, we can, we can allow him to apply the salve. He is the balm of Gilead. He's able and and the historical reality of what happened to you will still be there. But I can tell you from personal experience that if you allow him to go back there, if every time the hurt comes up, every time you're reminded, every time the enemy pokes you in the chest, you just give that hurt to God. I want to tell you that the effect of that hurt goes away. It still happened, but it doesn't affect me anymore. Satan wants you to bind you to the past, convincing you that something that happened back there changed your forever. That makes him stronger than God. He wants to convince you that somebody who used to be in your life and they're not anymore, that you can't go on without them. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. 
if somebody walks away from you, don't beg them to stay. Don't prostitute yourself to gain their affections. Don't change who you are to try to win them back. If they can walk away from you, let them walk away. They were never destined by God to be a part of your tomorrow. They were in your life for a season and a reason, and now they're gone. If they can walk away, let them walk away. You'll never move forward hanging on to somebody in the past. They're not a part of who you are anymore. Satan wants to convince you that you need somebody who left you. Satan also wants to bind you to your past by your unwillingness to forgive. Forgive. Satan has, has, has portrayed forgiveness as to this mountain we just can't hardly climb. Can I, can I tell you there is one that has already climbed this mountain for you? And he has forgiven you and I. And he now tells us that we need to forgive. And when, when, when there's somebody in your past that there, there's still something in your heart, just, folks, there's nothing more you can do except forgive. You will never cross into the barrier into yesterday and get them to take it back. I spent too much of my life wishing and hoping was my pastor left a church that we'd been a part of to start a new church and Gail Beth and I and others went with him we believed in him to start a new church whatever he wanted I was Johnny on the spot jump through the hoops carry this clean that do this visit Pray, give, teach, preach, whatever. The man stood up in the front and as Gail Beth and I performed our marriage vows, I cut his grass. Gail Beth cleaned their house just to be a blessing. The man prayed with me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Gave me my first chance to teach, first chance to preach. I was sure he could walk on water. One Thursday night, him and I went out on visitation. Earlier that day, in my time of prayer for him, and I prayed for him nearly every day, God gave me a word for him. We got done with visitation, and he dropped me back at our little apartment as far I got out of the car, and 
with quivering lips, I turned to him and I said, Pastor, listen, you know I love you. You know I pray for you every day. I said, I, I, I won't be able to sleep tonight unless I tell you this. I said, here's, here's what God said to me today when I prayed for you. And I started crying. I said, God said, if you would end that relationship with that female that you know is wrong, he will restore you. He will forgive you and he will restore you. But if you hold on to it, he will take from you your ministry. He will take from you your job. He will take from you your freedom. And he will take from you your family. That's a pretty hard word. I never told Gail Beth that God had gave me that word for pastor till 12 or 15 years later. I didn't tell a single person on this planet. God knows that's true. It was on Thursday night. Sunday morning comes around and from the pulpit, the pastor tells the body that I've been spreading lies about him. Kicks us out of the church. I think it was eight months later, within a year, his wife calls on a Saturday night. We had no contact with him. Church continued on. We were tossed to and fro. Poor Gail Beth never knew what hit us. I didn't tell her about the conversation on that Thursday night. God didn't tell me I could. On a Saturday night, his wife calls and says, I don't know if you heard what happened to Pastor. And I said, no. And she said, I, I need, would you be able to preach for us tomorrow morning? Make a long story short, he'd had a mental breakdown because he had been caught with having sexual relations with this other woman, this other female. Because she wasn't of age, he was arrested. He was sent to prison. He lost his credentials with the Church of God. He lost his job at Ford Motor Company. His wife, so put off by all of that, divorced him, and he went to prison. Lost everything God said he would lose. For years, for years, I went and visited him in Chillicothe Correctional Institute. He did not want to see me there. He had lost out with God. He was bitter. He was angry, and he was really angry at me. I don't know why. I had to jump through so many hoops just to get permission to go in to visit him. I'll never forget as long as I live. I'm, it took me almost a year to get to go in to see him. From what I was told, the only other person visiting him was his mom. And I made the hour and a half, two hour drive down to the prison and go through all the, the hoops to get in. And then you go sit in a room at a table and you wait until they bring the prisoner. And 
I'm waiting at the table and I'm waiting, I'm watching the door and probably almost an hour goes by and I see him come through the doors and he comes through the doors like this. And then he sees me. He stood there for a moment. Come over to the table. Sat down. For nine years, I visited him. Numerous times a year. He eventually prayed with me one time at the altar and gave his heart at the, at the table and gave his heart back to God. He started holding Bible studies in the, in the prison. It was just a couple of weeks before he was about to be released and when he got released he was going to be moving down to Tennessee. And we're sitting there and I, listen to me, I wanted, I'm, I'm telling you all this for a reason. There was something inside of me that wanted to go back to that moment. How many know what I'm talking about? I wanted, I wanted to take him back there with me. I wanted him to make it right. And I said, you know what, I need to ask you a question. Because I know what you want to ask me. I looked him in the eye and said, how could you do that to me? How could you do that to me? He said, I, I had to. He said, that, that, that moment in the car, I knew at that moment God had showed you something about me that could blow up my whole life. And the only way I could navigate through that is to make you out to be a liar and a troublemaker so that no matter what you said, nobody would believe you. And I waited. And I waited, David. I wanted him to say, I am so sorry I did that to you. And he never said it. He explained what he did. And he never said he was sorry. It was like I got back there with him looking for remedy and it didn't come. for a couple of weeks I'm wrestling with that what, what, he's serving God now he's teaching the Bible now surely somewhere in his human capacity for compassion is the thought you know I need to apologize to this young man and he never said it I'm wrestling with that and I'm pouring that out to God and God said I, I, I can fix that In my mind, I'm thinking, I, I need him to apologize for me. That was my thought. You know what God said to me? I'm sorry that happened to you. And in that moment, that was better than if he had said it. And what I learned is that nine years of waiting was wasted. I could have got delivered from that nine years earlier by just taking it to God. 
And the devil likes to enslave us with our fear of the future. What's going to happen to me? We, had to, we were pastoring in Marion, Ohio. And we just put a big addition on the building. And, and the one thing I didn't like was the, the, the building, we, the, the doors on it were glass doors, but they didn't match the other glass doors we had. And, and when I asked the builder, how much would it take to replace the glass doors in the existing building with glass doors just like that one? It was just, the, the price was just way, I'm not going to spend that just to make a match, you know? And so they stayed. It was the whole one end of the church, about as big as that wall, was glass, you know? And so I thought, well, I guess they'll just never match. And there was a big sidewalk up to the doors, and we often would back up to those doors to load stuff in the truck. And, and one day we had loaded some stuff in the, the van, my van, and, and it was pulled up to the doors. And I told our oldest son, Gabriel, who was like 15 or 16 at the time, to back the van up and, and go put that stuff in the garage. And so me and one of the other ministers in the church were in the building, and Gabriel goes out with the keys and... All of a sudden, we hear this boom. And we go out, and the van's in the foyer now. End of the story, as I got my new doors. And no, I didn't tell him to do that. But I will, I will, I will never forget what he said to me. It, it, it hurt I, because of the pain in his voice. He I go running up. I said, buddy, are you okay? He goes, yes, but dad, what's going to happen to me? Like he was going to go to jail or something. Just the pain. If you're a father, you know what I'm talking about. I said, buddy, nothing's going to happen to you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I hugged and kissed him from my new doors. And the enemy wants to bind you to fear about tomorrow. Where will I live? What will I eat? How will I take care of this? What will, how many know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and in spite of the fact that Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, the enemy wants you and I to focus on it. Like, like our worry is going to fix something. Like our fretting is going to mend whatever's broken. That, that, and you know what? It never does. Worry about tomorrow steals the joy of today. And, and here's the reality. You need to know something about tomorrow. God's already got that. Some of our theology is a little bit twisted and a little bit wrong. <clears throat> we think God is working things out. The truth is, he's already worked them out. He is not preparing your future for you. He is preparing you for your future. Because your future is already set. His workmanship is not your future. It's already taken care of. He used the example, the birds, 
and the butterflies. He said, they don't go about today worried about tomorrow. The same Jesus said, listen, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. God's not working on your tomorrow. He's already solved that. When you get up tomorrow morning, that will be a day that the Lord has made. He's not working on tomorrow. He's working on you and I. He's not ordering tomorrow. He's got tomorrow all set. He's ordering our footsteps to make sure we're in the right place at the right time to get what he prepared for us. You know how when you, you've, you've planned a surprise for somebody and you really, you really want them to just, you know, and so you, you cover their eyes and you, you guide them to some place and they trust you. Okay, and then you tell them to stand right there. You ever watch the show, Fixer Upper? Chip and Joanna, he's a little touched. I loved it when he ate the cockroach. YouTube it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But when they get done, they, they find a home that's all broken and messed up and and then they set about to fix it, and, and the homeowners are kept away from the project until it's, it's done. And then Chip and Joanna bring them out in front of the home, and they've got a big billboard of a photograph of what the home used to look like. And, and then they have the couple stand there, and they're looking at the billboard. And then Chip and Joanna just kind of slide it out of the way, and they see the end result. You, but they trusted how many would say, Chip and you want to, do, want to do my house? Go ahead. They do a good job. You see what they've done. I want to tell you, I've seen what God does. He always does a good job. You can trust him. And if he stands here and pulls you to a spot and says, okay, it's time for the big reveal, let me tell you something. The big reveal will not be yesterday, and it won't be tomorrow. It'll be right now. It's a perpetual now with God. He doesn't want us afraid of tomorrow. And so we pick up our story, and these guys are in the middle of a storm. And Paul says, if you continue to read the story, he said an angel showed up and told me this. He says, and now, be of good cheer. Listen to me for a moment. Listen, listen. We, we see David's story as he goes down into the valley with Goliath, and, and we know it's going to turn out okay because he's, he's obeying God. Are you with me? We, we, we know that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are going to be okay because they're, they're doing what God told them to do. How many knows where he guides, he provides? 
We all know that. How many know it's better to be obedient to God and do what he says? And we, we know that Daniel is going to be okay because the, he's doing what God told him to do. But I'm so glad my God is more than that. Because you see, God told them not to go. He warned them. They're not in the midst of a storm that God has led them into. They're in the midst of a storm of their own making. Any of you ever made a storm in your life? And have you ever had a warning from God not to go there, not to do that, not to... Anybody? And you did it anyhow? Lord, speaking to somebody this morning. And the enemy wants to confine you now to that moment. Except there's this story. Where God goes to people who don't even believe in him who he warned not to do that. He warned them not to go. And now, some versions of this verse actually translate it, but now. And now, be of good cheer. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. No mistake you made before you came to Christ is greater than the ability of Christ to forgive you of your sin. If you're in the midst of a storm right now that's been of your own doing, you need to know this. We don't serve a God who picks up and leaves because we blew it. I'm not advocating for sinning. I'm not advocating for disobedience, but I'm going to tell you, according to the word of God, that God is even able to go and fix this mess for you. It will cost you something, but it won't change or take away your life. And now, right now, if you and I will live in the now, now, forgetting those things that are behind, now, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He is not the great I was, and he's not the great I will be. He is the great I am right now. And whatever is going in your life, I want to tell you something, whether it's because of what somebody did to you or something you did, it's never too late. As long as there's still breath in your lungs, it's never too late to turn this around by trusting God with it. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Somebody needs those two words right now. And now. And now. And now. God warned you it would be bad if you did that, and you did it anyhow. 
and now. See, here, here's, here's, here's the, the neat thing about those two words, and now. It's two words. It's two words. And. That means an addition. An addition. This isn't a subtraction. The enemy's always subtracting. God is always adding and multiplying. And. When the enemy speaks to you, when you try to calculate your position in life and where you're at by looking at the mistakes of the past and the challenges of tomorrow, when you're mixing that recipe together, God wants to add one ingredient. Now. You got to add that to the recipe. My wife, man, can she cook. And she can mix something up and cook something and she can taste it and she knows exactly what it needs. You know what God does? He, John, you're, you, something missing in this recipe about your life. All you got is everything that's happened and everything you're worried about happened, but you forgot to add in right now. And now, add that and now to the recipe because I want to tell you something. Right now, he's still God. The enemy would have you think that he wasn't God or that would not have happened. The enemy would have you think that the problem coming down the road is bigger than your God is able to handle. God says there's a problem with your recipe. Add in now. Just add that to the recipe. Now how's it taste? Right now I'm alive. Right now I'm his child. Right now my God can do all things according to his riches and glory. Right now, and when you add the now into the recipe, his now is greater than your past and greater than your challenges in the future. Right now is better than anything coming or anything that has been. Right now. That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.